0: You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. It is another football weekend. It's week 14. Hi, everybody, and thank you for spending some time with me. I'm Dan McNeil, and this is the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Apologies for not getting the show out on time yesterday. I like to drop them on Thursday late morning, early afternoon, but I was feeling a little punk Um Thursday. And that's a term that needs to be used more frequently by the current generation just to keep it alive. There's guys my age, late baby boomers who've never heard the phrase when you're not feeling quite yourself, you're feeling logy and weak. uh, You feel punk. And that's what I did yesterday. So the punkness and use that word, youngsters. If you're below the age of 40, please do me a favor and help keep that alive. The week uh, starts off in dramatic fashion last night, even though the game was so very sleepy for so much of it. And Baker Mayfield deserves a lot of praise, and it pains me to do it because I think he's the biggest D-bag in the AFC, and I don't think there's anybody in the team photo with him. Baker Mayfield takes the Rams 98 yards in the final minute and 45 seconds. That's 98 yards in 145. Without the benefit of a timeout, it was incredible to to see him willing his team to victory. Uh, As the Rams stave off, at least for the short term, making NFL history with the worst record following a Super Bowl championship. They still may accomplish that, and I'm rooting for them to do it, especially if Mayfield is going to be the guy from here on out, and why wouldn't he be? Mayfield last night was 22 out of 35, 230 yards, a touchdown, no picks. Now, on the other side of the field, there is Derek Carr. Nine years of this with the Raiders. I like the guy. I root for him. Football obviously is very important to him. I like a quarterback who exhibits emotions on the field. But when the final chapter is written on the Derek Carr football book, it will not have a happy ending, and it will not conclude in a confetti shower. Um, Don't think this guy is the type of player – who performs consistently enough to to win because of. Uh, Win with, yes, when Josh Jacobs is right, and he just missed 100 yards last night. Jacobs with 99 and a touchdown. He's been on fire of late. Fantasy owners know this very well. Carr is is right-handed Mark Brunel. And for those of you who don't recall the career of Mark Brunel, you youngsters in the 90s, he was the Jacksonville Jaguar. He was the Jaguars' man. But according to former Jags defensive tackle John Yurkovich, a guy who was just good enough to break your heart, man, that's exactly what Carr is. And what the Raiders didn't do in the fourth quarter is stunning. 20 yards of offense in the fourth quarter and four penalties to go along with it. Uh, it, It's just a dreadful close for the Raiders and a dreadful season for the Raiders. Foolish it was on my part to think a team with the best wide receiver in football could make a run at what we all thought was going to be a very tough division. Now, it's turned out to be anything but that. Only the Chiefs are a quality team in that division, but uh, it's just been a disaster. for uh, Devontae Adams finished with three catches for 71 yards. I think it was all in the first half, so the Rams... The Rams rally behind D. Bag Mayfield, 98 yards, less than two minutes, no timeouts. That's an exciting start. It was a crummy first 57 minutes, but uh, boy, was that 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 finish was incredibly exciting! And uh, the first favorite of the weekend has gone down. I stayed off the game last night. There's no chance in hell I'm taking the Raiders. Uh, lay in six and a half. I know they'd been winning lately, but I didn't trust them to cover that. I thought they'd win the game, but by a field goal, and that's not what happens. Sean McVay dodges the bullet. Um, I I hope they get that record. I want them to be the worst record team after a Super Bowl championship. I want them to do that. A 36.9 rating, by the way, if I fail to mention that, for Derek Carr in the Raiders. Week 14 loss on Thursday night football. There it was on the staggered Amazon Prime screen for me, but what I like to do is record it overnight. It runs immediately following the game. It runs at 11.15 our time in the Midwest on NFL Network, so if you don't want to stream it or if your stream is imperfect as mine has been, I just record at 11.15. I can whip through the commercials, through timeouts, through injuries, and I can watch the Thursday night game in about an hour on Friday morning. And I'm up early enough to do it every Friday. There are some good matchups, some intra-division matchups this weekend, most games in the division. And we none of us thought that the Giants were going to matter once we got to December. We were wrong. Brian Dable's uh, Giants at home, and they're 7-4-1 and after – tying Washington last week. The Eagles are coming, calling, and they're seven-point favorites at Bet Rivers, the 11-1 Eagles, seemingly on cruise control. And that's who the Bears get next weekend. Welcome back from your bye, Matt Eberflus. Now, he responded, and here's some Bears stuff quickly before a few other games. I think if there's a real positive From an Ebert flu standpoint this year, it's the way they responded after their horrible performance on Thursday night football against Ron Rivera and the Commanders, and that game was at Soldier Field. That was Field's worst day of the year, and we all were left wondering, man, is this guy going to be the guy? And we still don't know in terms of whether he's ever going to be a prolific passer despite his deep ball. He certainly has proven everything he needs to prove as a, as a big splash play guy, more than three, or he's got three 50-plus-yard rushing touchdowns this year, just absurd, but uh, that that's a real positive. The way they regrouped after that mini-buy in October, and hopefully that will continue, and hopefully Eberflus will come up with some sort of a, a defensive scheme that slows down Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. And you can run on the Eagles, and the Bears will try to, but again, uh, that's that's for week 15. More stuff going on in, uh, in week 14 that I want to talk about. And there's a, another AFC divisional game with the Bengals laying five and a half, the eight and six Bengals after Joe Burrow's third straight win over Patrick Mahomes last weekend. They're taking on the Browns, another team that's easy to root against, the Cleveland Browns. But uh, th- that should be a fun game. And the Steelers... Um I, I'm interested in seeing what they what I really like this weekend as much as anything are the Vikings, the ten and two Vikings getting no respect from the wagerers. The Lions are two point favorites over the purple at Ford Field Sunday. The five and seven Lions favored over the divisional winners. You could already engrave their name on the trophy for crying out loud. That makes no sense to me. I I don't get that. Uh, the Sunday night game interests me. The Dolphins are laying three on the road at the Chargers. I'm going to be rooting for the Dolphins. I want to see the Dolphins continue to put good efforts together so they might be able to make a run during the postseason. I, I think that would be fun to see Tua Take that next step. As much as anything, though, Sunday night I'll be rooting against the Chargers. If you're if you're a regular on this podcast, you probably know I'm not a fan of Brandon Staley's. I think the guy thinks with his little head way more than his big one, and I hope the Chargers fall to six and seven after the Dolphins trounce him at SoFi on on Sunday night. Um, these the the game between the Bills and Jets is is another really good in division matchup. I am, it's tough for me to lay the 10 simply because how so many of these games this year are one score games and the Jets are pretty stout defensively. They're battling for a playoff position. They're seven and five. Um, I'm staying off that game. Uh, There have been some changes in odds. There are almost every week for the NFL's postseason individual awards. I'll get I'll get through those in just a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit more about the Bears and and what they've gained through these first 13 ball games. I mentioned Eberflus showing he can be versatile and be, be flexible rather and utilizes extra time well. Now will wow, camera fell down. Sorry about that. Um Will it show against the team as good as Philadelphia? Not so sure, but uh, I think there's very little to be encouraged about regarding Eberflus's defense, but on the positive side of that, there is the reality of having to turn over a roster in such a short period of time where everyone's wondering, other than the guys in the secondary who are high draft picks like Brisker, the second rounder this past draft, or Uh, Kyler Gordon, those guys are getting a lot of experience. They're going to be that much better next year. I think that's a good thing that's happened for the Bears. But up front, the front seven, Jack Sanborn's the only guy who makes plays. And people are still wondering if he's really going to be the type of guy who he looks like he might be on a bad team, the best player on a bad front seven, a front seven that gets no pressure on the quarterback that's going to be something they'll address with their truckload of money they have uh, during the offseason uh, money for free agency and that uh, I, I they obviously will spend it they they've got to get some difference makers I keep hearing people say with the draft load up on offense and yeah the offense needs help and if you get a if you're picking uh, As high as it looks like they're going to pick, and you feel good about the best wide receiver, and he's there when you, he's there after Houston picks. It's hard pressed for me to say, take someone else because they absolutely need a receiver. And I haven't seen the list of free agent receivers yet. I haven't, you know, gone that deep into it. But the Bears, who were aggressive in trying to piece together better receivers for this year with the signings of Equinemia St. Brown. And uh, the former chief, Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry of the Patriots. Whether these guys stick around for the long haul, I'm not so sure. I I wouldn't be surprised if they were just stopgap guys in the mind of Ryan Poles. And um, Poles looked like he found a winner in the left tackle. I'm I'm holding out some hope for their fifth round pick. He's better than I thought he was going to be. He's having an okay first year. We have a Bears birthday today that deserves acknowledgement. With the Bears on by, it couldn't be more timely than this is. Some call him the greatest defensive player in the game's history. Dick Butkus is 80 today. I'm not among those who say that. And as we roll further and further into the 21st century, fewer and fewer people remember having seen Dick Butkus play. I'm 61, and I didn't get good Butkus. I, first year of football I remember was 69. You know what happened in 69 for our local heroes? The Bears went 1 13 under Jim Dooley. But uh, Butkus, from all accounts, was the most feared player in the game. And Success and Dick Butkus knew each other very early in his life. He was a highly regarded high school player at Chicago Vocational. He was the first junior ever to win the Sun-Times Player of the Year Award. He goes on to the University of Illinois, where he starred as a linebacker and as a center. He won the Big Ten Silver Football Award, the Tribune Silver Football MVP in his last year in 64 as a senior. Of course, he's a first-team All-American. He finished third in Heisman Trophy voting in his senior year. And it took Charles Woodson of Michigan after the 97 season to finally uh, get a defensive guy on the board. One guy in the history of college football on the defensive side of the ball has earned the Heisman Trophy, and he had to play special teams to do that. Charles Woodson of the Big Blue. Butkus was an immediate success at the NFL level. His 27 fumbles recovered in his career were, at the time, an NFL record. He won the Defensive Player of the Year honors in back-to-back seasons of 69 and 70. He had tremendous instinct. When I've watched the video of Good Butkus, I am surprised by a guy in his era, especially a, a little bit stouter uh, 6'3", 245, then a guy like Brian Erlacher, Luke Kuechly, or other great inside linebackers in the game's history. Um, Butkus retired in May of 74 at the age of 31 with bad knees, and that's the Butkus I remember. I remember Dick Butkus as being very gimpy and essentially was a mascot in costume, uh, the costume of a football player. He wasn't good. Uh, He he just wasn't, and the Bears weren't good. Drafted third in 65. The Bears had three first-rounders in 65. They pull off Butkus and fellow Hall of Famer Gale Sayers, and in their careers, they never made a playoff. Not once. Short careers for both Sayers and Butkus because of injuries. And here's something that I think Bears fans need to hear, because there's a separation between George Hallis and Virginia McCaskey that is, that is most notable by the name. When you hear McCaskey, you think bad thoughts, because that has been the family's reputation since George Hallis died in the early 80s. The McCaskies are cheap. All they care about is the bottom line. Winning doesn't matter to them and they are going to get by in a very shrewd fashion, sometimes at the expense of being human beings. Well, where do you think the McCaskies learned that? Where did were George and the late Michael McCaskey? From mom, who learned it from whom? From dad. George Hallis' daughter is Virginia McCaskey. Yet, she's viewed as this lovable elderly woman who still is strong enough to get on the team flight and travel and be a fan. And she's always at the NFC title game for the presentation of the Halas trophy. Give her enormous credit for that, but man, there's more to it than that. She took with her what her dad instilled. And that is not necessarily treating people the way they deserve to be treated. And I know where the bodies are buried. At Halisall, both this Halasol and at the one uh, at Lake Forest College when they used to train, at as Ditka would say, 250 North Washington. Virginia McCaskey embodies those things. Butkus tried to sue the Bears at the end of his career. He was kicking and fussing after the 69 season and was asking to be traded or cut. And it was because the Bears were going on the cheap. And Butkus had to make those threats to cop $100,000 in salary in his final contract with the Bears. He did sign a multi-year deal, but not without a fight, not without contemptuous feelings for management. That's the Bear way under Hallis as, as it has been under McCaskey. And few recognize that everybody, when they hear the name, George Hallis, thinks of the league founder. They think of a guy who coached until he was an old man. They think of him being old school in terms of discipline. What you don't think about is him being a bigot. And it's even illuminated in the film, "Brian's song where the captain J C Caroline is uh, played by Bernie Casey. Uh, suggesting that players room by position, and that meant Sayers and Brian Piccolo would share a room. Hallis objected to it. Hallis reneged on bonuses for the 63 world champion Bears. He was a cheap SOB. Bears players didn't have hot water to shower after practices, and when they played at Wrigley Field, uh, they were treated to one-ply toilet paper. My my, my late friend, Doug Buffone always would bitch about that. when they go to Abe Gibbard and say, can we please get the two-ply? And uh, Gabe, uh, G- 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 Abe would say, well, you guys aren't winning. As soon as you start winning, then we'll pop for the two-ply. But, uh, man, it started a long time ago. Anyway, happy birthday to Dick Butkus. On the personal side, for me, but I I've never understood the fascination with him as a guest in sports talk other than the fact that he is a giant in his sports history because he's a crabby mumbly old prick and he has been since he was a much younger man uh I, I don't want to judge a guy on one meeting but when I first met Butkus when I was 10 he was a dick to me and he I've seen him do it to other people I just he's he doesn't seem like he's happy with with much of anything and hasn't for some time and why people found him to be an attractive hire as a broadcaster. I I don't get that just because you're a great player in your team's history. You don't deserve the headset for game day. I mean, I don't know if WGN paid him by the grunt when he was one of their analysts on the radio, When I interned at GN in 1985, good time to be at the Bears' flagship, by the way, in case you hadn't heard there, that was a pretty good football team. Butkus sat in the booth with then play by play play man Wayne Larravee. And uh, also in the booth was former St. Louis Cardinals quarterback uh, Jim Hart, who was the athletic director at Southern Illinois, if memory serves. But Butkus was added nothing to those broadcasts. He was not approachable by people crabby with the media as a player. And I know we're pains in the ass. I, I get that. But when you're the face of a franchise, there is an obligation to be cordial and at least treat people like humans. And, and butkis butkis is always when I've seen him and I've been around him at social events, I was a part of a group that, uh, at a radio station that paid homage to the Bears' legacy at linebacker, and it was a black tie event that f- it was called "Decades of Dominance." It featured Butkus, Singletary, and Urlacher. That was in Brian Urlacher's second year in the league, and something that I always will remember about young Erlacher is he said to me in the in the you know the VIP suites I introduced. Uh, a few people who were speaking that night, not necessarily getting honored, not part of decades of dominance, but I introduced, um, Dan Hampton, who was going to talk about Mike Singletary and present him. Uh, that was my role in the event. And Urlacher said, I have no business being here. I don't belong on the stage with these guys. And, uh, that showed a lot of humility from young Brian Urlacher before he, uh, Became before he fell in love with everything that goes with being an NFL superstar. Butkus had a had a run as an actor. He did a ton of episodic television, uh, making cameos in some pretty popular shows like Growing Pains and Matlock, Blue Thunder. Uh, his most successful project was the TV series My Two Dads. Uh, in which he starred with Paul Reiser. That was on the air between 87 and 89, a total of 27 episodes over those three seasons. Um, it, it would be so much nicer to, to to love Dick Butkus. As a guy who stayed to a degree, even though he's lived in Malibu, California, most of his post-football life, a guy who is still part of the franchise and still speaks publicly at 80, it would be nice to find him likable, but he is one of the most surly uninteresting people I've ever met. I once asked Bob costas in a in an in studio interview uh twenty four twenty five years ago Dan Jiggett and I were hosting the afternoon show at the score and we had Bob in the studio promoting a a book he had done a book an audio book, one of the first of its kind on on superstars and I asked Bob. Who is the dullest superstar you ever have interviewed? And he said, that's a great question, which made it grow for me that Bob Costas, who's a great interviewer, would say that's a great question. He says, can I have the break, the time out to think about that before I give you a knee knee jerk reaction? And I said, absolutely. And we play the three or four minutes of commercials in that era. Now it's about eight minutes. That's because they give him away. Uh, and we come back and he says, My answer is Wayne Gretzky. I, I can't remember. Uh, I'm sorry. He answered Moses Malone. My answer at the time was Gretzky. He answered Moses Malone. Uh, he just he said he could never get an interesting thought out of Moses Malone. He never heard anyone else accomplish that. But the that was his answer to the question. Dick Butkus is on my Mount Rushmore of crappy interviews. Um, guys who just had no business in front of a microphone and butkus has certainly had his share anyway, happy effing birthday to Dick butkus not representing like a Chicagoan, like a blue collar guy, like the youngest of eight kids from a Lithuanian immigrant. His father was uh, an electrician at the old Pullman standard rail cars plant on the South side. Those of you who play, uh, harborside know exactly what i'm talking about the pullman district sherwin williams used to be out there uh had a flat tire stuck on my monte carlo coming back from a concert right in front of of sherwin williams in the pullman district um there have been some changes in terms of the mvp voting and who's going to win the super bowl to my surprise today when i looked this up the bill's are favored. Uh, they're they're the least attractive play in terms of return on investment. Buffalo right now is plus three seventy five to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, after the loss to Cincinnati last week, has fallen have fallen to plus four fifty. Those of you who don't play, what's wrong with you? But what that means is you would win a hundred bucks on the uh, uh, three hundred and seventy five dollars if the Bills wanted. If you put a hundred on the Bills at plus three seventy five. 100 on them pays $375 and so it goes the eagles are 5 to 1 i like philadelphia at 5 to 1 um the bengal's are 13 to 1 plus 1300 for the bengal's i i don't know you beat the best team in the league last week that seems like a very nice return on investment as joe burrow heats it up do you remember how awesome Burrow was last year? I think it was in their fifteenth and sixteenth games out of seventeen in the schedule. He passed for something like nine hundred yards in those two games, just crazy. And uh, he's still not among the top, uh, you know, favorites for MVP. A couple guys ahead of him, Mahomes and Hertz are both ahead of him. I've uh, I've been fascinated by the Comeback Player of the Year award too, because there are a couple of outstanding nominees. It's it looks like it's going to go to Geno Smith of the Seahawks, and I have zero argument with that, even though I strongly um encourage people to play Christian McCaffrey when he moved to San Francisco. But with Brock Purdy now at the wheel there and not Jimmy Garoppolo, not sure what to make of the uh of the 49ers and uh, Christian McCaffrey was a good play right after they made the trade, but not so much now. Saquon Barkley, also an outstanding candidate, but the award is very, very likely to go to Geno Smith at minus 670. That means you have to be willing to lose $670 to make 100. Now, if you think he wins it, regardless of what happens the rest of the way for the Seahawks, the seven and five Seahawks, four point favorites at Bet Rivers over Carolina this week and that's in Seattle, I I, I find it hard to believe he's not going to win the award anyway. Even if he were to get hurt Sunday and be out for the year, there's a good chance he wins that award. He's had nine games with a rating of more than 100. He set a Seahawks record for two touchdown passes plus the 100-plus rating for consecutive games, I think six or seven of them. He has been absolutely... Outstanding in, in in every fashion for the Seahawks, and I was among those writing off Seattle very early in this season. Um, and I was absolutely wrong. I have an assignment for you this NFL weekend with no Bears. If you have the Sunday ticket package on Directv, or if you have access in any way to the Texans and Cowboys. Sunday, I want you to listen to the crew of Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez because I I strongly suspect you will feel as I do that you're watching a preseason game. You're watching an August game with the local broadcasters for one of the teams. It is that bad. It's so sleepy. Here's a cool word for you. Somnambulant. What produces a state of sleep by audio boredom? Somnambulant. That's a good way to describe Mark Sanchez. I think he's the worst number one, not number one. He's the worst analyst doing pro football today. Moose Johnston has fallen on my on my pecking order as well. He and Smiling Joe Davis, the guy who looks like Tom from Major League the dorky lawyer who was uh, dating Renee Russo until our hero, Jake Taylor uh, gets her near the end of the movie and she calls off her engagement. But uh, yeah, some of these broadcasts are just dreadful. Here's another tandem that'll put you to sleep. The somnambulant Greg Gumbel joined by Adam Archuleta or as Gumbel calls him Arch. You know, we were talking about that in our production meeting, Arch Greg Gumble, oof, Nance and Romo get the Jets and Bills. I'm going to pass. I, I, I'm going to tune into Coogler and Sanchez when the main game that I, I want to watch goes to break. And that is, is the game I'm so looking forward to because I'm going to bet the Vikings as a dog in Detroit. I want to hear that crew. That's the broadcast I want to listen to. But there are some just absolutely horrible, both play-by-play and color color guys, analysts doing these games. <sighs> you got to check out Kugler and Sanchez, Texans and Cowboys. That's going to that, be a thing. Monday Nighters sucks this coming week, Patriots and Cardinals. Cardinals among the most disappointing teams in the NFL this year. I think the Packers probably get the gold medal for that. A lot of people thought they were a good Super Bowl pick. Anything but. Although they managed to kick the Bears' ass one more time and overcome a 9-point deficit last Sunday at Soldier Field. Um it is it is appropriate to mention the history of the Heisman Trophy today and I'll tell you why. It's because this the first trophy was awarded on this day Uh, 9 December, 1935, Jay Burwanger, uh, they called them halfbacks in that era. He was a running back for the University of Chicago, and he won the first Heisman Trophy. The University of Chicago hasn't had a football program for decades. I don't remember them ever. I don't even know if it was in my lifetime where they still were playing football there. It's a fine school. Weiler's Children's Hospital Uh, is amazing at the University of Chicago. It saved my niece's life uh, 20, 30-some years ago when she was run over by a semi and dragged and had all skin was removed and her pelvis was crushed, and they did amazing things at Weiler's. I have nothing but respect for the U of C, but it hasn't been a football program in my lifetime. And I want to share this little nugget for you. And you can win a bar bet on this one. You can win a drink if you recall this when you – uh get together with your buds the next time there are a lot of things people don't know about the history of college football not included would be the earliest days um the latter part of the uh of the uh, of the what 19th century it's uh, it's a lot of Ivy League schools. It's Harvard, it's Princeton, it's Yale, it's, you know, and in 35, a guy from the University of Chicago can win it. But you knew that likely about all the Ivy schools because you've heard that being such a part of the college football tradition and history, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Ivy League schools. Here's something else you didn't know about college football in the 1930s and briefly in the 40s. The Minnesota Golden Gophers were a, nat- a national threat every year, and they won national championships. Do you believe that? The thirty-four Golden Gophers went eight and zero. Bama was a ten and ten and zero team that year um, under Bernie Bierman. The Minnesota Golden Gophers they went eight and zero again in thirty-five, and they got the nod from most outfits that picked the national champions. You recall the days the 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 dinosaur days of a p u p i um coaches polls there were a million different outfits that would vote on national champions. We didn't have in that era a consensus, although you will look at the list of them I and mean, it will mention one team but if the if the list is any damn good, it will include the other teams that got votes from some of these outfits because some of the some of the uh, voters were from reputable publications or uh, or groups or news services but the golden Gophers uh just an incredible football power in what then was called the western Conference and here is an awesome trivia question for you to run by your buddies and see if you can win a drink from them in 1941, Minnesota went 8-0. They were ranked number one in the country when the year started. However, in 1941, the Western Conference did not permit its conference champions to play in the Rose Bowl because of a prior agreement with other postseason outfits. So in 41, when Minnesota was the, the people's try. Everyone had them number one. They don't go. They can't represent the West because the West isn't for it. Oregon State was the team that replaced them. They get Oregon State. This is the only game, only Rose Bowl game, that wasn't played in Pasadena. And I'll tell you why. You probably are doing a little math on it. What's New Year's Day of 42 mean to you if you know anything about American history? New Year's Day, 1942. It was three weeks and change after the Pearl Harbor attacks and security was still on alert in America, as you may guess. Uh, so they play the game for travel concerns in Southern California. They played the game where they played it at Duke in Durham, North Carolina, and Duke Wound up winning the game. They went off. I'm sorry. They wound up losing. People said Oregon State should stay out. Don't come. There's no reason to come. Duke's going to kick your ass. They went off as huge favorites and lost 20-16 to to Oregon State. Did the Duke Blue Devils. New Year's Day of 1942. The only Rose Bowl game not played in pasadena california you're welcome for the free drinks you're going to enjoy when you share that with your buddies i'll be back monday morning probably drop the pod at around 10 30 11 o'clock we're we're long done by then but adam delavid who's the big boss man at bet rivers podcast network he's got to make sure everything fits he's got to make sure it meets his ear of approval and then we roll. We put it out there. You should subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. You can do it wherever you listen to your podcast, or if you just want to come and click the play button on Twitter or Facebook when I recirculate the pod, you can do it that way. But why wait? You get a notification, hey, Mac just dropped his pod, and that's as close to live radio as as we get. Other than the terrestrial show, I do Fridays on my hometown station, WJOB and Hammond, 1230 on the AM. You can find it anywhere in America by using the free tune-in app. Sam Michael is my producer here on the Danny Mac Podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. Be careful. And I'll be back here for you on Monday late morning with a week 14 review and maybe a peek ahead to what the Bears and Eagles have to offer in week 15. Have a good one. I'm Danny Mack, and I'm gone. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mack Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.